today's reading is from Psalm 27, verses 7 to 14. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servants away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Saviour. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not hand me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Well, we're looking at for, for three Tuesdays at Psalm 27 and specifically what it says about addressing fear. And there are, of course, many ways to address fear. Some of them do not require belief in God. Um, but we're looking at the specifically believing way to address fear. Now, this may not be an issue for you right at this moment, but probably at some point it will in the future. And if not for you, it's almost certain that we will come across people for whom this is an issue and they're struggling with fear, and I hope and pray that this psalm might help us in those situations. The thing that David is afraid of is described in verse 12. False witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. And in the same verse, he writes of the desire of my foes. And I'm told that the original word there is a very strong word. It means almost like the lust of my foes. So he's got these enemies who maliciously are lying against him, wanting to bring him down. And he's scared. He's afraid. Now, so far what we've seen in the other two Tuesdays is that the way in which David addresses these fears is first of all by speaking to himself about God. That is the first three verses. And then um, in 4 to 6, we looked at the way in which David speaks to himself about the thing that he wants above everything else, which was to be in the presence of God. And he reflects that if that is his priority, he can leave his safety to God. And now we come to the actual prayer David prayed. He hasn't been praying so far. He's been speaking to himself. He's been speaking to us, the readers of this psalm. But now he actually prays. And we're going to think about how we can pray into fear. And I think the first thing we learn from this is to pray about the fear behind the fear. So I think that in verses 7 to 10, what we pick up is the fear behind the fear. So he's afraid of those malicious slanderers, but there's something behind that he's afraid of, which is a deeper fear. What was it? I think we see a hint of it in verse 7. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. He's afraid that perhaps God might not hear his voice. But the fear becomes more explicit in verse 9. As he prays, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. 
Do not reject me or forsake me. He's afraid that God may turn his face away from him, may reject him and forsake him, and turn him away in anger. So he was afraid that he would turn up to speak to God, so to speak, and would hear God say, I'm finished with you. I'm forsaking you. Go away, I'm crossing you. Or he'd find that God was hiding. No one was there. The universe was empty. God was absent. And I take it these feelings are recorded because that is what believing people will sometimes feel in times of anxiety, worry and fear. And the hard thing about times of fear for the believer is that you don't always feel God is with you. In fact, judging by David's prayer, you may feel that God has forsaken you. You may feel that he's angry with you. You may feel this is a sign that God has rejected you. So added to the fear of losing your job or reputation or relationship or savings or whatever it is, is the fear of losing your God. And that perhaps is one reason why fear is harder for the believer than for the unbeliever. Because the consistent atheist lives with the belief that they are triviality for a moment and then nothing. That they are a product of blind DNA which is pitiless and indifferent. And if you've always believed that and always believed you're alone and you've never felt the assurance of a heavenly father who cares for you, maybe when fear arises, in a way you're more used to it. And you don't have that added fear of losing God. But if you've been in the situation you're a believer and you have believed that the Lord is my shepherd and you've had that assurance, to have the fear when you're threatened that perhaps he's no longer your shepherd and you may be abandoned to the wolves is really, really scary. Now, David prays about this by asking God that he won't do these things, he won't reject him, but also by reminding himself what God has done and will do for him. Verse 9, you've been my helper. Verse 9 again, God my saviour. And I love verse 10, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Um, it's very unlikely that father or mother would forsake their child. If you've had a child, you will know that protective instinct. Seeing them maybe on a hospital bed or first day of school when they're scared. Profound instinct to protect them. And David is saying, well, even if parents do that, God's not going to do that. He won't do that to me. And now perhaps we understand better why David was speaking to himself about God in verses 1 to 3 saying, the Lord is my light, the Lord is my salvation, the Lord is my stronghold, because he didn't feel that. But he was speaking to himself, reminding himself of the objective truth about God. And as Christians, we should be praying about the fear, behind the, the fear, by saying in prayer what God has done and will do. We might say, there are all sorts of things we can say to ourselves, but we might say to ourselves in the words of Hebrews, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. 
let us draw near to God with full assurance. And we will be saying, and this is the context, of course, of the book of Hebrews, of course we are approaching that train with assurance and confidence, not because of our own deeds and works and goodness, but because of the work of Christ. We know that Jesus came to seek the Father's face. And on the cross he found that face turned away from him. So that it won't be turned away from us. We know that Jesus was actually rejected and forsaken by his Father on the cross. That's why he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's so that we won't be rejected or forsaken. So we can come to God in prayer and say, Lord, you cannot hide your face from me. For I'm in Christ, and you hid your face from him for me. You cannot turn me away in anger, because you turned your own son away in anger for me. You cannot reject me or forsake me, because you did that for your son, to your son on my behalf. So let's pray about the fear behind the fear. But then pray to know the way of God. Verse 11. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in, straight, in a straight path because of my oppressors. Now this isn't a very specific prayer, is it? It's not, it's not saying to God, well, do this or do that. It's not directly addressing his problem. It's not a prayer for God to do anything to anyone else, but to do something to him. And the way I see it is that David is praying things like, Lord God, help me to understand more of your steadfast love. Clarify in me that hope I have of the future, of being at your right hand. Help me to see what you see. Show me how to stand up to my enemies. Um, speaking of myself, I think often in prayer, I come very quickly to the specific problem or issue that I've got. That particular thing I'm afraid of. But this prayer of David's directs us to pray, first of all, to know the way of God. So before we pray, Lord, change my circumstances, we're praying, Lord, change me. Before we pray, we'll teach so-and-so a lesson, we're praying, teach me a lesson. Before we tell God what to do, we're praying, please guide me. Before we pray, teach them your way, we're praying, teach me your way. Jesus, of course, said, I am the way. And so what we are praying, fundamentally, is to be taught by the Holy Spirit more of Christ, more of his life of grace and truth, how to follow him in that love, what it meant for him, the Holy One, to bear us in a way. So we pray about the fear behind our fears, pray to know the way of God, and finally, Pray about the thing you fear. So finally, at last, in this psalm, we come to the 11 words which actually address the problem. So remember the thing he fears, false witnesses rising up against him, spouting malicious accusations. What does David ask? Here's the one thing he asks, verse 12, in relation to that threat. Do not hand me over to the desire of my foes. Terribly simple. Very straightforward. 
They're out to get me. Don't let them get me. But I think it's fascinating that this psalm contains 327 words and his specific request directly addressing his problem is just 11 words. 11 words out of 327. And that helps me to understand some words I I once read of of, um, Michael Ramsey, who was Archbishop of Canterbury in the 1960s. He was once asked... um, Archbishop, you know, how long do you pray for in the morning? And he said, I spend 29 and a half minutes getting ready to pray and half a minute praying. And I wonder if he meant something like what he sees and what we see of David in this psalm. He has 316 words, as it were, getting himself ready to make his request, and then just 11 words making the request. And of course, once we have, I would suggest, going through this same process, doing this thing of speaking to ourselves about God, reminding ourselves of what is the number one thing we want, praying about the fear behind the fear, actually when it comes to it, that petition about that thing that's troubling us and scaring us can be very simple and very short. May I not make a fool of myself. May I not fail. May I not die. Don't hand me over to those who want to bring me down. Or whatever it is. Was the prayer answered? Well, David doesn't tell us in this psalm. Was he handed over to his enemies? Well, probably not. Because he seemed to go on to fight another day. He escaped Saul, if that's the setting. So probably it was, but he doesn't actually refer to that. But what he does tell us is that he found great confidence that he would see the goodness of the Lord. Verse 13. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So that was the answer. He found confidence that he would see the goodness of the Lord. And notice, in the land of the living in this life, on this earth, not just in the future. He seemed to have some belief in some kind of afterlife. But he's saying, it's not that. that." Of course, that's true. He's saying, right here on earth, I've got the confidence I will see the goodness of God. And in that sense, his prayer was definitely answered. Now, of course, this isn't a promise to us that he or we will always see the goodness of God as we think of goodness. But it is a promise, I believe, that we will see the goodness of God. If we trust in Christ and pray as David prayed, we will see the goodness of God, as God defines goodness. Earlier this year, in our church, I interviewed Jonathan Aitken um, in front of an audience um, of getting on 200 people. And um, probably most of us will remember him, the older ones certainly, Younger ones, maybe not. Um, He was in the cabinet in the 1990s. Um, I did actually ask him in an interview, I I gather that you were tipped as a future prime minister, and he said, well, the number of people of whom that's been said is legion. Uh, But he was tipped as a future prime minister, and then he lied in court and was eventually uh, prosecuted and sent to prison. 
And I think the most powerful moment in the whole interview was when I asked him about how he prayed in that time. And he said he prayed for four things. First he prayed he wouldn't be prosecuted. And then he was. And then he prayed he wouldn't go to prison. And then he prayed his wife wouldn't leave him. And then he prayed he wouldn't lose his money. In one sense, none of those prayers was answered. He was, went on trial. He did go to prison. Sadly, his wife did leave him. And he was declared bankrupt. But what he said, he said actually through that, I found the goodness of God. Because he came to a living faith in God. And it opened up to him a new richness of life he couldn't have dreamt of. And because of that promise of seeing God's goodness, the final verse of this psalm is not an empty promise. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart, and wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. As William Cooper, the hymn writer, put it, Wait for his seasonable aid, and though it tarry, wait. The promise may be long delayed, but cannot come too late. Wait for God. Confident of seeing his goodness in the land of living. So if you're in an anxious time right now, Pray that this psalm might help you to be strong and take heart. In dark days to come, may it help you to be strong and take heart. And may it help us all to equip others who are in fearful times to be strong and take heart. Let's pray for a moment. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, I do pray that you would help us to take this psalm and that we would, as it were, rub its teaching into our hearts and minds. That we might learn to speak to ourselves of God. To seek your presence above all things. To pray as David prays. And may we have that confidence of seeing your goodness in the land of the living, but also, of course, ultimately and eventually in the land above, our heavenly country. May we be strong and take heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.